Welcome to What's Up? Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WHAT, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the old tutoring center suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for our non-traditional campus. My name is Miranda, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Quinn, and my pronouns are he, him. And my name is Julie, and my pronouns are she, her. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be the hosts for this podcast, so let's get into it. Yes, so today we will be talking about health disparities and how it affects many communities, including ours. Um, Because health disparity is such a dense topic, this is one out of three episodes that we will be recording. Um, And so, yeah, for this one, we're just going to lay out the basic information. So what is health disparities and what does it look like? And then in the following episodes, we will have experts come in and talk about the facts and statistics about health disparities. Yeah, so... Um, Health disparities, for those who don't know, is defined as inequities directly related to the historical and current unequal distribution of social, political, economic, and environmental resources. So that's a lot of words. What does that sort of mean to you, Julie? Yeah, totally. Many people think that health, health disparities pertain to just access to proper health care or just medical support. However, health disparity can be seen in many dimensions. This health disparity can stem from poverty, environmental threats, inadequate access to health care, which is what I brought up, individual and behavior factors, and um, other kind of inequality that is bestowed on different communities. Right. Um, And so I think a really big important part about health disparities is that they are preventable. So like the burden of disease, violence, or opportunities to healthcare experienced by disadvantaged populations, this can be prevented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And when we're talking about disparity, many interpret as just the differences among racial and ethnic groups. However, disparities can exist and can be seen across many other populations, including gender, sexual orientation, age, disability status, socioeconomic status, and geographic location. And since we're talking about the differences among these populations, the burden of these inequalities and what comes from them should not be placed on these individuals um, that are experiencing these disparities um, because oftentimes they don't have control over it. So in order to improve these health disparities, I would like to emphasize that we have to dismantle the system. This this system was established under the notion of white supremacy, capitalism, and privilege. And so it is paramount for us to remember that these individuals are not responsible or should not be blamed for these disparities. Right. That's a really good point. And I think it's also important to remember, especially as we sort of look at a lot of our focus right now is on the big public health crisis of COVID, but we all often forget that health disparities is another huge public health crisis that is affecting 
millions of Americans every single day and people around the world. Yeah, Miranda did great bringing up that this is a public health crisis and it has been ongoing for so many years and that the attention needs to be shifted into this topic and that we should focus on coming up with solutions in order to dismantle the system. So we'll start off with talking about race, one out of many um, components of health disparities. So race and ethnic disparities are, of course, significant when it comes to access to health or proper health and health care. So despite many actions have been taken, there is still that discrepancy when it comes to race and ethnic. Yeah, um, race is one of the most salient factors when it comes to examining health inequalities. Um, When you compare to the white population, um, racial minorities in the United States are at higher risks of many chronic diseases and premature deaths. Yeah, despite there have been many statistics indicating that differences between the white population and the BIPOC communities, one of the prime example that we can look at is just this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Um, In the past year or so, we have seen that um, COVID has disproportionately affected the communities of color since we've seen higher rates of infection, hospitalization, and mortalities. when we're looking at these populations and the rate of it. Right. Um, And I think this also, when looking back to last week's episode about vaccines, there's a lot of disparities when it comes to vaccine access that have to do with racial equity and access to healthcare. Yeah. And what Miranda was indicating about that, um, kind of differences in vaccination. We also like to mention about vaccine hesitancy um, among communities of color because historically and even in contemporary context, the systemic racism that has been um, very lethal to our society has taken over kind of people's trust when it comes to vaccination. And that marginalization has kind of neglected our daily lives and just how we approach medicine. Right. I think there's a lot of provider bias associated with poor patient provider communication and interactions, lower quality of care and overall negative health incomes among people who are often disregarded by their healthcare practitioners. Um, I think it's also important to remember that the U.S. government has a history of actively experimenting on people of color. The most well-known example of this is the Tuskegee trials in 1932 to 1972, so very recent history. Um, And that was where the U.S. Public Health Service conducted experiments on black men with syphilis, um, leading to the deaths of hundreds of people. So this is not an isolated incident, and this happened over and over again. So it's definitely understandable why people would have that hesitancy when it comes to their healthcare practitioners. Yeah, and just that trust, right, among the people of color in the communities of color is that folks are afraid and we can't really blame them for it because as you mentioned, just historically, we have um, these detrimental experiments and just kind of that trauma that is embedded um, in these communities, which is very hard, admittedly, that for these folks to overcome them. Yeah, I think a lot of it too has been sort of exacerbated by the outcomes of 
the war on drugs in the 1980s and the very racialized element of the war on drugs has led to a lot of people having trouble getting life-saving medication from their doctors because their doctors simply do not believe them because of the color of their skin. Yeah, totally. Um, And like we said, race and ethnicity isn't the only form of discrimination when it comes to health disparities. Gender and sexuality is also another prominent um, component when it comes to health disparities. Right. Um, So obviously the LGBTQ plus population experiences all of the same diseases and conditions prevalent in the broader society. Um, And there but there are other conditions that more acutely affect the LGBTQ population, such as HIV and AIDS. Obviously, everybody can get HIV or AIDS regardless of your gender or your sexuality, but it is more concentrated within that population. Yeah, and especially um, if you are looking in magnification of our healthcare, trans healthcare access is extremely difficult, like everywhere. Right. Um, and that trans people face discrimination when it comes to healthcare professionals. It is a, ve- a very contentious conversation to have, but. It is seen that, of course, these trans individuals are having a harder time accessing the proper care. Yeah, many trans individuals face dead naming and improper pronoun usage by their doctors and building that trust with your doctor when they won't even respect your basic right to use a name you feel comfortable with. Um, It is really difficult to build trust there. There's also a lot of strict regulations on hormones such as testosterone, which can make it really difficult for trans men to access care. Additionally, a lot of insurances don't cover um, trans healthcare, especially um, FFS, um, top surgery and bottom surgery. Um, Many insurances deem them medically unnecessary, see them as cosmetic procedures and not life-saving procedures. Yeah, and speaking of trans healthcare here at Shack. Marina, you want to talk a little bit about that, about the trans health at Shack? Yeah, so Shack does provide trans health care. So if you or someone you know is in need of that, come contact Shack because we might be a less difficult route to access this health care. Although it is, it is a challenge everywhere, but Shack does a really good job of helping people get the health care they need. Yeah, and because trans healthcare is something I feel like our society should start acclimating to and kind of making it more accessible for everyone. It is not that a lot of med schools do not teach on he- trans healthcare, and a lot of doctors aren't very knowledgeable on it, which leads to this kind of discrimination, like as Miranda was mentioning about, and that treatment is very hard to access. And so, just like we've mentioned throughout this podcast so far about teaching people and allowing us to kind of adapt to the change and making it more um, kind of familiarize ourselves with it. I I think going back to sort of like HIV as well as um, trans healthcare are very taboo topics in the medical field. And so a lot of doctors may have just never been taught about them um, for a long time a lot of medical research willingly did not want to 
look into any of those topics that were affecting LGBTQ communities. So some of the research there is very new. Um, but yeah, another big um, topic when it comes to healthcare inequalities is socioeconomic status. Um, Julia, if you want to talk some about that. Yeah, totally. Socioeconomic status can come in in many different forms. Again, to what we were talking about so far, um, the first part that we want to talk about is just poverty and how prevalent it is across this country. When we talk about poverty and health, there are a multitude of ways to connect them together. But first, I like to mention food deserts, an example of how poverty is kind of that prominent factor when it comes to looking at, at our overall health potentials. And if many are not familiar with the term or phrase food desert, food deserts is the result of nutritional impact and are seen in urban environments. And food deserts are areas where fast food are more common <laughs> comparing to the healthier options. And these mostly occur in low socioeconomic communities. Right. Um, and this is a really important topic um, for PSU. Um, many of our students, um, a higher percentage than the sort of average university, um, struggle with food insecurity. So if you do struggle with food insecurity or you just in general maybe just need a little extra help with groceries this week, we do have the PSU Food Pantry. Um, that's a really great resource um, to help access that fresh food. Um, speaking of sort of food deserts, another um, sort of aspect of accessing that healthful food that can help like nourish your body and possibly prevent or at least prepare your body to fight off diseases and face those better. Um, a lot of times healthier food can be more expensive. Um, buying fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, maybe frozen vegetables are cheaper but like fresh things are very, very expensive sometimes, um, especially in food deserts, finding fresh food mm -hmm. is already difficult. And then that fresh food is very expensive, especially when you can go get a burger at McDonald's for a dollar. Like, yeah. are you gonna be satisfied for dinner off of a burger or off of an apple? And they're the same cost. And so a lot of families and people struggle with having to choose between that inexpensive food that can nourish them right there or getting fresh food, um, especially when you have other healthcare costs because of lack of insurance or under insurance. Yeah, affordability is one, but also access is another, you know. Mm -hmm. They're kind of not given that option at all right. because in food deserts, like we've mentioned before, there are so many fast food options comparing to a market because in food desert if you look at it statistically there might have might be like one or two grocery around comparing to 10 fast food chain right. restaurants in the area which of course like we said makes it very hard to access when it comes to that um and then when we're talking about poverty we would also like to look at the environmental factors as well and not just kind of like the economic part, which is, of course, access to food and just the affordability. Violence, a very prominent factor as well when it comes to poverty and how that influences the health outcomes among communities of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, obviously, um, like Julie said, violence um, 
is a really big thing um, and can lead to poor health outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. And just in general, like environments and other environmental factors, um, like urban heat island effect um, in lower socioeconomic regions. Um, a lot of historically redlined parts of cities, they are higher temperatures during the summer, which can lead to more people dying of heat stroke. Um, oftentimes, um, toxic waste plant dumps or um, like farms with toxic runoff or pollutants being put in the air, these are oftentimes more commonly located in lower socioeconomic regions, especially regions with higher populations of BIPOC communities. Yeah, and Miranda did great touching on the whole environmental factor. And if you even think of it in the bigger picture, in lower, um, in lower socioeconomic communities, of course, they aren't as funded as well comparing to other communities and neighborhoods. And funding, of course, is a big contributor when it comes to establishing that safe environment. And we're talking about parks or places where people can just go out and be physically active. Right. And we all know that physical activity is crucial to um, our health. And so in these neighborhoods, it is most of the recreational space, not only are they limited, but sometimes deemed as unsafe. And um, of course, that reduces people's possibility and chances to go out and kind of have that active experience in the outdoors. Yeah, um, I think another thing that we could touch on here um, when it comes to socioeconomic status, um, a lot of blue collar jobs have just a higher risk on at work. Um, and things like groups like OSHA and unions can help mitigate these risk factors at work, but there are oftentimes workplace injuries at some of the jobs that people hold. And so um, that's something to also consider that some people don't have the luxury um, to like have a job that does not have a risk at the workplace. Yeah. And when we're looking at it and now that we're kind of transitioning to the individual level, we health disparities can also be seen on that individual and behavior factor uh, level. And so when it comes to making decisions on the individual level, we can, we have seen that there have been um, studies on how teenage pregnancy, poor dietary choices, inadequate physical activity, physical and emotional abuse, substance abuse, and gang involvement have kind of um, significantly impacted individuals in lower socioeconomic communities. Yeah, um, I like how you bring up the, um, teen pregnancy there. Um, a lot of times, um, access to um, sex education is a really big factor when it comes to health disparities of teenage pregnancy and sexual health in general. And I think here at HP, we really think it's just so important that people get a quality sex education and health education um, from uh, their adolescent age. Um, people are going to be sexually active. And so it's so important to teach them how to do that safely. Yeah. And when 
yeah, and when uh, Miranda is talking about teenage pregnancy and education, yeah, us here at HP, we try to really emphasize and making sure that it's more of a um, pure education and just not education as a whole, because that's definitely something we do not look at and do not generalize and more of like that pure education and having a conversation about making the proper decision that will have great influences and not the other way around. Um, and back to what we were um, talking about, the individual and behavior factors, I like to talk about trust and how trust is so important. So and I cannot important. emphasize enough on how trust has greatly influenced the idea of health disparities throughout the decades here. Right. Yeah, trust in just that that patient-doctor relationship is just so important and so delicate and building up trust me very difficult especially when it comes to mental health practitioners um going to counseling or therapy um you may be sharing very very intimate things with your healthcare practitioner and so building that trust is something that can take a really long time and can take a lot of money that a lot of people don't have in order to have that extended care. Yeah, trust is also another huge topic that we will definitely look back into in future episodes when we talk about health disparity, because many studies have comprehensively examined that interrelation between trust and individuals have greatly influenced both their physical and mental health. And like going back to what Miranda was saying about access to counseling, um, primary care, and all the different facets of healthcare and how trust is pretty much the fundamental of all of those constituents. And trust can also, besides just healthcare looking at as a whole, it kind of brings us back and ties back to all the previous topics we've talked about, like race, gender, sexuality, um, poverty, socioeconomic. Trust is that relationship that gets kind of established between folks. And without trust, many of those issues we talked about will exacerbate because people are not willing to look into the healthcare or into the resources that people offer to because they don't, they kind of are tied back to that historical context that they are afraid and fearful of um, others around them, especially the underserved communities. And they're just pretty much afraid and that they, and that fear kind of, dismisses trust right. between these individuals. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of disenfranchisement when it comes to accessing health care. Um, I know so many people who have tried one, maybe two, three, four times to access the health care that they need. And the more times that you are unsuccessful, the less likely you're going to go back. And this can just really dismantle on the individual level, a person's trust in healthcare as a whole. And so, yeah, this is why I think it's so important for healthcare practitioners to try so hard to be successful on that first point of contact with a patient because the longer it takes, the more frustrated and the more disenfranchised people become because health is just so important. And when you're struggling with health and you need 
help from a doctor and you're not able to get that for whatever reason, be it miscommunication, mm-hmm. any of the things we've talked about, um, that could just, it can be super frustrating and very, very saddening. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great segue for us to talk about our next um, component of health disparities, which is inadequate access to health care, which is, I guess most people are most familiar with. It's just that insurance and kind of being able to access the care because, of course, we live in a society where healthcare is the gateway mm-hmm. to proper medical care, medical support. And so, healthcare has served as a burden, in my opinion, more right. than just help to these exactly. folks. Going to the doctor is seen as it's seen as a burden. And if if you're listening and you're not from the United States, um, we do not have like universal uh, healthcare. Government universal healthcare. <laughs> yeah. um, I know personally, I think me and Julie would think it'd be great if we did. Yes. But those are our personal opinions, but we do not have universal health care in the U.S. So that means that people have to deal with insurance, looking at different rates of insurance, paying for insurance, paying co-pays, paying all these things in addition to long wait times at the doctor. So there's a lot of challenges with the healthcare system in the United States. And even with the Affordable Care Act, um, you may know it as Obamacare, um, which did lead to a large gain in coverage. Um, there are still a lot of groups that remain at a really high risk of being uninsured or underinsured, um, lacking access to care and just experiencing worse health, health out- outcomes because of their insurance situation. Yeah, and in recent years, Congress has passed laws or have looked at laws that have even made it harder for these individuals to get access to, for example, the Affordable Care Act. And it hasn't been easier at all for these folks to acquire the proper insurance or just care that um, that are being provided for them. And I think it's important for us to remember that healthcare is a very complex and convoluted system, and there's so many moving parts to it. And it brings us back to the whole idea of systemic racism and how it is inoculated into our healthcare system. And for us to to improve it and to better this system, it is important for us to think of it as a way where we can eradicate these impediments and making sure that healthcare is a right and it is not a privilege. Because as we've seen in many years, that healthcare is kind of made for the rich, for the wealthy individuals, and that it is not established in a way where it is accessible for everyone. Right. I think that's especially true of sort of preventative care. A lot of times um, people will wait to seek a healthcare professional when it's absolutely medically necessary. And this can be really dangerous for going that preventative care, for going those yearly checkups, your your pap smears, your your dermatologist um, checks on your skin. Those Those sorts of things are just as important, if not more important, than that sort of acute care. And so preventative care, because it can be so expensive, a lot of times it's seen as unnecessary or less necessary, especially when you're choosing between feeding your family or putting a roof over your head. That yearly checkup may not be as important. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Healthcare shouldn't be one of the decisions that you have to make is like a life or death situation, you know, and that there shouldn't be a price 
that is on death, you know, like you shouldn't have to die just because or experience death just because you don't have the money to even look at it or like diagnose it. And so when we look at it, it shouldn't be like we've mentioned a choice, you know, and that if you need the help, you should get the help and it should be offered to you. And there shouldn't be any kind of burden, especially when we're talking about like financially, that shouldn't be a burden when you're seeking for that proper health care. Right. You'll see all the time hear stories of people making GoFundMe's to try to raise money for health care or people getting divorced so that their partners don't have to take on the debt of their own health care. So there's just so many <laughs> problems. Yeah. Yeah, those were all good points that you brought up. And um, yeah, and so those are all the things we want to touch base on as of today for our episode. Um, and like we said, we're going to have future episodes on health disparities. And what will audiences expect from those episodes, Miranda? Yeah, so in the future, we will look further into the effects of health disparities um, in our community. Um having deeper conversations with some of the public health experts uh, at PSU. Um, we'll also look at some facts, um, statistics, and patterns of the past couple of years in this area. And we'll also look at some possible solutions that we can implement both in our immediate community and in our wider community at large that to help sort of close up some of these gaps in health inequities. Um, and if there is something specific you want to know more about regarding health disparities, we've got our Google form in the description. Feel free to fill that out and let us know what you think and what you would like to learn about. Yeah, and for us to talk about this as health promotion is very important. We, well, we've seen in our, of course, government where there are many officials that only talk about it, but we don't see any actions for health promotion. We really want to not only talk about it, but we also want to implement change and put words into actions. So we talk about, of course, these health disparities, but we also want to inform and educate uh, you all on it. And so we have the hut as an example, where we take our time and um, talk about health education, like we've mentioned before, nutritional support, um, and help y'all access to different resources around and making sure that we together as uh, a community can eliminate health disparities and just reducing the detriment of it. Yeah, and then Shaq as a whole is really committed to making sure that obviously through our health services fee where there's so many um, basic health care needs that are opened up through that um, small fee. And then also the insurance requirements, while it may seem sort of frustrating to have to have insurance, it's just so important to Shack and to PSU that every student is able to be insured and to get health care through Shack and then wherever they would need to get it as well. Yeah. And so like we've mentioned as HP, we really, a health promotion, we really want to kind of implement change and we believe in working together and that we can help improve the overall health and just 
yeah, just healthcare in general for everyone, especially people in our community. So that is all that we have for today's episode. Um, and like we mentioned, if you are interested in health disparity and the different topics that we talked about in this episode, we'll have more episodes in the future that we'll be talking about, that we will be covering um, regarding health disparities. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to our episode today. I hope everyone have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Julie. Bye. Bye, Miranda. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you next week. We at Shack are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number at 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the CampusWell app. Also, feel free to check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including resources links in the episode description as well as a link to the episode transcript. If you have any questions about health, wellness, shack, or anything we discussed in this podcast, please fill out the Google form in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care. We'll see you next week on What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor.